Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Warden Full Gospel Assembly. So good to have you here this morning. Isn't it wonderful that the leaves came on the trees this week? All of a sudden, last week, everything was brown. This time, when you woke up on Sunday, everything is green. It's fantastic. It was a fantastic week to see the green leaves burst forth. Isn't that exciting? All right. We're in this new series. We're going to call it The Collection of Songs. Have you ever wondered and noted that songs have evolved and um, entertainment, musical entertainment, has changed drastically over the years? In my lifetime, and some of you can relate to this, in my lifetime, there were vinyl records, 33s. 78s, and then from vinyl records, it moved to 8-tracks, and then from 8-tracks, it went to cassette tapes, then to VHS, and then to disc. Now we have Pandora, we have Spotify, and if you have Siri, you can talk to Siri, and Siri will play any genre of music that you want. I remember as a child, growing up, maybe I was 10 years old, my neighbors, the Trebidge family, they got a color TV. They were the first people to get a color TV. In the days when everybody else had black and white television, the Trebidges had a color TV. And I still remember all the kids in the neighborhood, we would sneak to their front living room window, hide in their bushes, and look through their front window as they were watching color television. We would watch color television as well. We couldn't understand the thing that was happening because we couldn't hear the sound, but we were watching color television. Several years ago, I was cleaning out my office, the church offices, which is one of my gifts, um, came across boxes and boxes of sermons that I preached, all on cassette tapes. From 1992 to 2002, 10 years worth of cassette tapes. And so as we were cleaning up, someone asked me, what should I do with all these boxes with cassette tapes in them? And I said, well, does anybody still have a cassette player? Most people under the age of 35 have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about a cassette. They've probably never seen a cassette, probably never heard anything from a cassette. They don't even know what a cassette is. Their entire lives, they have no clue what a cassette is. Yet there are people, there are people who don't know what Spotify is. Some of you may be thinking Spotify is some... Unknown, undiagnosable disease that you just got from your doctor. <laughs> so for the next three weeks, so for the next three weeks, I, I just want to take a look at some psalms, because the psalms are songs, a collection of songs. And these songs, we should become really mindful of the fact that these songs should help us and do help us live and hopefully become more connected to God. 
as Joel was mentioning a few moments ago, there are five categories of psalms. And if you have your Bibles today, we're going to look at specifically Psalm 32. But before we do that, let's just take a little bit of an overview of these psalms. Because there are five categories of psalms. There are psalms of lament, which express to us sorrow, grief, suffering. There's a cry from our hearts for God to help us. In fact, 50 of the 150 psalms, one-third of the psalms, are, are, are in this category, the lament category. Then there are psalms of praise that declare the greatness of God. These are psalms that speak of God's nature, of God's character. These psalms describe for us who God is. Then there are psalms of thanksgiving, specifically where we are able, or the psalmists begin to thank God in song of how he has worked significantly in various situations in their lives where God rescued them from the past and continues to intervene in people's lives. Then there are psalms of wisdom where we worship God who is a God of truth. We worship God for truth. These psalms declare for us the wisdom that God has as he is involved in directing our lives. And then there are psalms of enthronement. And these psalms specifically focus on Jesus. They are prophetic psalms. They are directly or indirectly prophesying the coming of the Lord, the Messiah. So every psalm in your Bible is characterized categorized in either one of these five categories. Now, Psalm 32 is a psalm of lament. It's a, a psalm of lament where we are encouraged to confess our sorrow and to be sorrowful over any sinful actions that we may have done, where we express our grief and our sorrow for the choices that we have made in life. And this particular psalm, Psalm 32, deals with lament. And there are seven psalms, seven psalms in the Bible that specifically deal with confession, confession as a lament of our souls and of our hearts. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 147. These are all confessional psalms. Now let, let me ask you to do something this week. There are seven psalms here in this area of confession. Why not take a moment, write these psalms down, and this week, as part of your devotional time, or the time that you spend with the Lord... Alone with God, read one, one of these psalms every single day of this week. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring confession to your heart as perhaps you look at your life and perhaps lament some of the things in your life. So out of this group of psalms that you see on the screen, probably the most popular psalm is Psalm 51. And it's the prayer that King David prays after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. It's a prayer of repentance where he asks God to humbly forgive him and his actions. 
But as I mentioned a few moments ago, we're going to look at Psalm 32 today. If you have your Bibles or if you have a smart device, I want you to follow along in these verses. We're going to begin reading at verse 1 of Psalm 32. Verse 1 says these words. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Verse 2. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. You need to note that. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. These two verses, my friends, give us an important reminder. These verses are an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement of sin and that sin is closely associated to God's blessing. When there is a refusal to acknowledge or to confess our shortcomings, we can miss God's blessing in our lives. It's important for us to note this specifically. Because confession confession is something we all have a tendency to push back on. We don't like to talk about confession. We don't like to deal with confession. We don't even like to talk about sin confession. In fact, I would submit to you that sin isn't a word that we like to talk much in our culture today. We use all kinds of other words to describe a general sense of this word. I have sinned. We have all kinds of other terminologies that we embrace or talk about, but we don't want to talk about Perhaps the sinfulness in our own hearts. We use phrases like, I made a mistake. But unfortunately, we all have made mistakes. We all make mistakes in our life. Mistakes happen by accident. When a a child colors outside of the lines, it's a mistake. They, They inadvertently did that they didn't want they didn't do it volitionally it's just happened in their life it's no big deal and sometimes that's how we approach sin in a lot of places we cross the line a little bit it's no big deal it's just a slight mistake instead of calling it sin we call it a mistake we use the phrase sometimes I have a disease can't really help it. It's just, it's just the way I wired. Maybe, maybe you have a temper issue. Maybe you have your struggle with anger and you blame it on your heritage. Maybe you struggle with an addiction and instead of taking responsibility for that addiction, we simply call it a compulsion, a compulsion, a compulsive behavior. We are not responsible for our behavior. It's a disease that I have. Instead of calling it sin, we call it something else. In fact, the Oxford Junior Dictionary a few years ago took out the word sin from, from the definition of the dictionary. And here's the explanation they gave as to why this was done. The word sin has fallen into disuse. It's no longer relevant to younger generations. But here's the thing to remember. We need to remember that when you don't acknowledge sin, there is no confession. 
And if there is no confession, there can be no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, we miss out on God's blessing. We miss out on a life of joy. We miss out on a life of having no guilt. We miss out on a life of peace. We miss out on a life of fruitfulness. So we can't call it a mistake, and we can't call it an oversight, and we can't call it an error of judgment. We can't call it a slip-up. We can't call it an addiction. Call what it really is. It is a sinfulness that behooves us. In fact, the apostle, uh, the Augustine in his book Confession stated, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. This is important for us to take note of. This is important for us to understand. While we don't talk about sin, we want to and we want to avoid the word, but unless we tackle it head on, unless we come face to face with, to it, unless we understand the diagnosis of sin and how it spiritually affects us, we will not seek help. And we certainly won't move in the direction of confession. And I'm here to tell you that unless you move into that realm of confession, we can't live in the blessing of God. We can't experience the immense love and grace of God until we come to a place where we acknowledge the reality of sin, that it is inherent in all of us. So Psalm 32, this psalm that we're reading, opens up with this call. This is what it's saying in verse 1 and verse 2. Stop pretending. Take a moment to acknowledge your shortcomings. Take a moment to acknowledge your confession. Take a moment to acknowledge that sinfulness is inherent in us and that we need to come to God in order, in order to inherit the blessings of God. It goes on to say in verse 3 and verse 4, When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day. There's a heaviness that begins to settle in on us. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. What you are reading here, the description that we have here for us, is what happens when there is a refusal to acknowledge the error in our ways. There's a heaviness that begins to settle upon us. This verse is describing something that happens in our life that becomes very evident. It begins within your soul. It begins within your spirit. But pretty soon it begins to come to the surface. Unconfessed sin will affect you emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. You will have more anxiety, more stress, more fatigue. There is an emotional heaviness and weight that settles upon you. When there is confession, there is a lifting and a removing that takes place because you experience the forgiveness of God in your life. There was a book written called The Coping with Stress. And in this book, it describes and talks about people who disregard confession. And, and in this book, it talks about the mental and physical complaints that begin to transpire in a person's life. The, there is more depression, more anxiety, 
more back and shoulder pain that happens, more headaches in the lives of people because of the, of the pressure that it brings onto people's lives because of the guilt that is in their life because they won't confess and they won't come to the Lord and seek his forgiveness in their lives. And the psalmist, the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 32, you begin with God in heaven. You make, right, you make things right with him. You make things right with him first. When you've wandered away, when you've disregarded his precepts, when you've, and you come back and you come to a place of surrender and, and in humility bring confession into your life, we are all prone to wander. But when you come back to a place of confession and you make things right with God, then things will turn right in other areas of your life relationally. Relationships suffer when unconfession exists. When you're not in right relationship with God, it affects how you are in relationship with others. See, there becomes this underlying frustration with people. Anger surfaces more quickly. Anger surfaces with guilt that oftentimes is directed and, and focused upon people around us. It spills out of us. When there's no confession in our life, there's an avoidance of people because sometimes when you see somebody, just being in their presence brings a certain memory to bear. There's a defensiveness that we begin to operate under. When we know we should be dealing with stuff, but since we haven't, anytime something comes up and a topic comes up, there is a defensive posture that we take, and what we have this attitude that says, what's that supposed to mean when somebody is talking to us, thinking it's directed at us personally? And then we begin to have a critical spirit. If there's unconfession as part of our life, a critical spirit begins to arise within us, a critical spirit towards other people. So what's so interesting is that people, listen, people who live under God's grace and have received his forgiveness, we should be the first to extend forgiveness to others so that they don't live under the guilt and shame and the heaviness that we place on them. And the obvious spiritual consequence is that sin, sin separates us from God. That's the spiritual consequence. And that's why it's so important to have this attitude of confession where we lament, where we lament the fact that we are estranged from God. But when we come to God through confession, it is the door that we can walk through. It's a door that opens and it brings us into right relationship with God. And when we open that door through humility and understanding that we, it's important for us to have a confessive heart that we bring this before God, God not only forgives, but he bestows his blessing upon our life. The favor of God begins to rest upon you. Verse 5 continues on. Finally, I confessed all my sins, the Bible says. I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. 
All my guilt is gone. See, that's what confession is. Confession is acknowledging our sin before God. That's what confession is. It's an acknowledgement that I have shortcomings, that I have failings, that I do not live up to the expectation of God. And it's a recognition that I acknowledge that I am a sinner before God. And the big question is, why, what keeps people, what keeps people from actually coming to a place in confession? What keeps people, and probably the biggest reason why people don't move into this realm of confession, this area of lament and confession for our brokenness and our sinfulness, the biggest reason why people don't do that is pride. We don't humble ourselves, acknowledging the error of our ways. We have this tendency to wander away, to move ourselves, remove ourselves from walking in relationships with God. And when we do, it is pride that keeps us from coming back into the form of repentance. Confession means that I need to humble myself before God. Confession and humility are joined together. And, and without humility, there can be no confession. Look what James chapter 4, verse 10 says. It says, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before the Lord. And He will lift you up. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 9. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Culturally, in our society, we have gotten to this point where we tend to minimize sin, as I mentioned before, where we treat sin as if it is no big deal. We've, we've developed in our own minds this scale of comparison to other people. We look at our waywardness, but oh, there's somebody who's doing it way worse than I am. Their, their lifestyle is completely different than mine. I, it, my, what I'm doing is not a big deal. Look at them. And so we have this idea in our minds and in our hearts that if I'm not as bad as my neighbor, then I don't need to, I don't have this feeling or need to confess. And then we begin to justify our actions. See, that's where we've gotten to in, in our society. As long as I'm not as bad as the person next to me, then I'm okay. And we disregard our conscience, and we disregard the move of God's Spirit in our life, and, and, and we disregard where God's Spirit is pointing to something in our life that we need to bring correction to, and, and we then begin to look at others, and we say, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm okay. They're much worse than I am. And so we justify our actions. But look at this. I like the way verse 5 of Psalm 32 says. You need to, need to understand this. Look at, look at what it says. It expresses God's response. And you forgave me all my guilt 
is gone. Listen, listen, listen. That phrase should change your life. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That phrase, if you embrace that phrase, it should change your life. Why is this so important to understand? Listen, because many of us were taught that God forgives sin, but not the guilt of our sin. Did you catch that? This phrase says, and you forgave me, all my guilt is gone. And the reason why this is so important for us to understand, and it can change your life, is because we were taught Many of us were taught, yes, that God forgives our sin, but he does not forgive the guilt of our sins. God forgives your sin, but you better feel bad about your sin. Does that make sense? God forgives your sin, absolutely, but you better feel bad for how you used to live. And you better feel guilty enough so that in your entire life you're trying to make things right because God's grace was so great in your life. You better work harder. You need to, you need to be better. And you work hard at trying to make things right in your life. We've been taught you better feel guilty enough about the way you used to live. Yes, God has forgiven you, but you better feel guilty enough that you now need to volunteer in church. And listen, frankly, a lot of times, people were guilted into doing something for Jesus. If you would only feel guilty enough, you would never miss a Sunday in a year. Yeah, God forgave you your sins, but you're not forgiven over the guilt of your sin. And so a lot of times we live in this realm of guilt and we're not completely free. We accept the fact that God has forgiven us, but we're always reminded back beyond when we were sinners and we're still living under the guilt of our sinfulness. See, our motivation to overcome guilt is to do something that pleases God. And so sometimes some of us fall apart when we miss a devotional time during the week. We fall apart. We say, oh my gosh, I've just sinned. I missed, I missed having time alone with God. I've missed it. I was so busy. I got caught up in other things. There was an emergency that happened. I had to work longer. I couldn't do devotion. Then we fall apart as if God is now going to come down upon us in judgment. You see, we're forgiven of sin but we're living under the guilt of that sin. God has forgiven you. This has to be a belief structure, and we need to remove the but from our vocabulary. Because a lot of us believe, yes, God has forgiven you, but I need to do this and that in order to experience the complete and total acceptance by God. No, no, take the but out. 
we experience, we experience this with people as well. Who, people, people who say that they have forgiven you, but they never let you forget. We experience that with people. You've wronged somebody, and they say, yes, we have forgiven you, but they never, ever let you forget. Every single day, they remind us of our certain transgression. We're forgiven, but they keep hounding the guilt upon us. And every one of us has been taught that this is how God forgives. God has forgiven, but don't ever forget what you've done. That's why this verse is so life-changing, friends. You need to underscore it. You need to underline it. Friends, this is not what the Bible teaches. You forgave me, the Bible says. All my guilt is gone. All my guilt is gone. And until you understand that and allow it to get into your spirit and into your mind and into your heart and into your life pattern, that you are no longer under guilt. You are not under the suppression and under the heaviness of guilt. It is removed from you. What we find in God is that He not only forgives us our sinfulness, but He also forgives us all of the guilt that may be associated with it. And what some of us have done as we've lived our Christian experience is we hang on to this guilt and we hang on to this shame and we insist on carrying this guilt around day after day, year after year, and it's a burden to us. It is time, my friends, to leave it behind and to let God take the weight from you. You are no longer under guilt from your past. The word forgiven in verse 5 means to lift a heavy burden, carry it away. That's what it means, forgiven. In other words, God lifts, but he doesn't hold it against you like your friends do. (laughs) He carries it away. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 12, he removes our sinfulness as, listen, as far from the east is from the west. And when God carries it away, he no longer holds it against you. Did you get that? When God carries your sin and your guilt away, that's why this verse is so powerful. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That is freedom, friends. That is glorious freedom. There is no harboring anymore of what has transpired in my past. It is forever gone. And he has, God has taken it away and he no longer holds it against me. That's freedom. Glorious, glorious freedom. No matter what has happened in your past, don't let the guilt dictate your present. You're forgiven. All your guilt is gone. Verse 6, verse 6 goes on. My time is going by way too fast. Verse 6, look what it says. Therefore, 
Let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Oh, this is a significant truth in regard to our reference to confession. See, if, if this is how it works, when I acknowledge my sin to God, God forgives, he removes all my sin, all my guilt, and I'm on the other side, and I can go move to the other side of blessing, listen, when is the time to do it? Now. There's no better time than right now to have the weight removed from you. That's what this verse is saying. There is still time. There is time for you to experience the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God in your life where you no longer, and, and, and if you would just confess, if you would come to the place and just confess, God says, right now, if you do that, I will do some incredible things in your life right now. The time is now. Author Philip Yancey talks about, I don't know if some of you read him, but author Philip Yancey talks about a day when one of his friends comes to him and they're sitting in a restaurant and this friend says to him, I'm married, I have three children, you know that, Phil. And he tells him, but I'm no longer in love with my wife. There's another woman now, I'm going to leave my wife. And the friend asks Phil Yancey, he says, will, will God forgive me for what I am about to do? I'm going to go ahead with this, and, but when I go ahead with this, I'm going to confess my actions, and God will forgive me, won't he? After what I plan on doing, God will forgive me. And so he, 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 like he moves, he has this plan in mind. He has this plan in mind to live however he wants to live, and then at the end, he's going to confess and thinking that all is going to be good. Philip, Phil Yancey writes in his book, he says, I pondered this for a few moments about what this friend has just unloaded upon him. And this is what he writes. Can God forgive you? Of course he can. But what we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God. And there is no guarantee we will ever come back from our wandering. You ask me about forgiveness, Phil writes, but will you, but will you want it later, especially if it involves repentance? Can God forgive you? Absolutely, yes. But can you be the kind of person who wants God's forgiveness? That's another question in its entirety. The longer you wait to confess, where you say, I'll do it down the road, the harder it becomes and the harder your heart becomes. So the time is now. Be free, walk in the glorious freedom. Come to a place of confession. God, is there anything, is there anything in my life that hinders you from completely and totally blessing me? Is there anything, God, I confess, I come before you, I confess with all humility. And God is ready. God is ready. The time is now. God is ready to do something significant to bring healing into your spiritual life. 
to remove all the guilt, to take away the heaviness, to take the burdens away that so compress you and bring you down. God wants to do it, but the time is now for you to act. Don't wait and allow your heart to become harder, but come to a place now. Verse 8 and verse 9. Then the Lord says, if you do that now, if you do this now, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you, and I will watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle, bridle to keep it under control. In other words, what the Bible is saying, hey, don't wait until circumstances become so drastic where you're jerked back into reality. Verse 11 of Psalm 32, and I'll close with this. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all those whose hearts are pure. Let me summarize this whole psalm for you. This psalm has a message Listen, this psalm has a message for us today. Whether you're watching online or whether you're in the sanctuary, for those who have not confessed or repented and you feel the heaviness and the weight of sin in your life, this is a call for you to change. The time to change. To make a volitional time right now to confess, come before God and confess and experience the grace and the forgiveness of God. That's the first thing that this psalm is striving for us. And the second thing is that for those of you who would say, I'm a Christian, I've experienced God's forgiveness. You've confessed, you've received God's forgiveness, you've received God's grace, you live in the abundant freedom what the psalm is saying to us, if you've experienced that and you have that constant, ad, humil, humble attitude of coming before God in confession, then you need to be people of joy. Because what you have received from God, when you've received the forgiveness, when you've received the extension, when your guilt is removed, we, if you're a Christian, should be people of joy. Because what you have received should be immensely celebrated. When you come into the worship setting, it should, it should jive you to jump and to praise God and to raise your voice to do whatever you want to do. Because you should be the happiest people on the planet. There should be something that is exciting about coming into the presence of God guilt-free and forgiven. There should be something super excited about that. I see people worshiping God with their hands in their pockets. I see people worshiping God, looking at everyone else worshiping. I see the attitude in people saying, what am I doing here? I wish I wasn't here. What a waste of time. No, no, no. Listen. If you 
have been redeemed and experienced the forgiveness of God and you are guilt-free, you should be the most celebratory people on the planet. That's what the church is. Verse 11 says, shout for joy. Shout for joy. Be people who are excited about what God has done. That should be the spirit in all of us. We have been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We serve a resurrected Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my Savior. I celebrate. Yeah, but I don't like the songs. I don't like the song they're singing today. Doesn't matter. You're redeemed, aren't you? Shout for joy. That means raise the roof. Because we've experienced God's incredible, incredible mercy and forgiveness. As I've come before Him in confession and I've lamented my sinfulness, God met me. He redeemed me. And not only did He forgive me, He took away all of my guilt all of my shame. And he put his righteousness on me. Yes, I lament. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But God in his graciousness meets me and forgives me, removes my guilt, no longer is the heaviness upon me, but the joy of the Lord is now my strength. Now's the joy of the Lord is my strength. May the Holy Spirit rejuvenate us to see the goodness of God. May the Holy Spirit rejuvenate us so that we can see the wonder and the glorious forgiveness of God that is extended to us as we humbly confess. Will you stand with me and let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I stand before you only as a person who has received your grace I'm a broken human being, prone to wander, prone to sin, prone to be sinful against you in my actions, in my attitudes, in my words, in my treatment of other people. But God, we stand today in your presence and we lament the fact, we lament the fact that we disappoint you at times, but we come before you, O oh Lord, with a humble attitude right now and we ask, O oh God, Oh God, please forgive us. Please forgive us of all of our sinfulness, our shortcomings, 
Redeem our brokenness, I pray. Extend to us your forgiveness and your grace. And Lord, as we enter a new week, may we celebrate the fact that all of our guilt is now gone. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's worship him.